This is the regular pastor podcast. My name is Landon Coleman. I am the preaching pastor at Emanuel Baptist Church in Odessa, Texas. Today I am talking to Zach Crook, pastor of Greenwood Baptist Church. And uh, some of you who are tuning in probably know him as the Bishop of Greenwood, but uh, some of you may just call him Zach or pastor. I don't know. Uh, Zach and I are part of a, a pastor cohort group that just meets together for fellowship and study and lunch once a month. And so we just wrapped up lunch. We're actually in the basement of First Baptist Midland. And uh, there's a skating rink right outside the room we're in. So we might go for a roll as soon as we're done in here. That's right. Uh, but lunch was good. And uh, I'm excited to visit with Zach today. Zach, thanks for joining me on the Regular Pastor Podcast. Well, I, I appreciate the invite, and I especially appreciate the invite for roller skating afterwards. <laughs> there so. you go. Uh, we are going to be the two best roller skaters in the whole rink, I guarantee you that, because nobody's out there. <laughs> That's right. Uh, both of my listeners would really like to know <laughs> something about you. So take a minute, introduce yourself to the vast regular pastor audience. Tell us uh, maybe just a little bit about where you're from, your family, your ministry, all that good stuff. That's right. Well, I was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you know the Lord called me to come out and try to help save the heathen out here in Texas. Amen. So we are uh, here, uh, met my wife at Wayland Baptist University, where I uh, went to school there in Plainview, and so we've Loved West Texas since there, kind of bounced around the state of Texas a little bit, but have been settled here for about three years. My wife is my much better half. She actually is a part-time counselor, so she works at the Christian Counseling Center right here outside of First Baptist. So they kind awesome. of, you know, own, know this, own this whole block. So that's uh, a lot of fun, and so she's able to help people that way. And then we have three children, uh, seven-year-old, five-year-old boys, Isaiah and Caleb, and then just got blessed with a little baby girl who is three months old. And so that's baby Avi, who, man, has my heart. So I'm super excited about that. That's cool. I saw a picture on Facebook. I was snooping on your page of your new baby and one of your other babies side by side that looked almost identical. You almost couldn't tell them apart. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, our so, oldest, which he has good hair, so that's good Yeah, know, for, the, for the baby girl. Yeah. So. Well, that's cool. Very good. So important question. Are you one of those obnoxious New Mexico people who every time you go eat Mexican food in Texas have to make some snide comment about green chilies compared to jalapenos <laughs> and, and how one is better than the other? Are you that guy? That's Hey, you know, I might might have been that guy where I love green chili, but my gallbladder got taken out about eight years ago, and so I can no longer enjoy anything spicy. So I've actually come to really enjoy Tex-Mex. There you go. Well, good for you. Good for you. Um, today, uh, Zach and I are going to kick around the idea of giving advice to a new pastor. And so this is probably, uh, a little bit above both of our pay grades. Neither of us have been a pastor for a very long time. Right. Exactly. Um, but maybe the advantage that we have where we may be lacking in experience is we are closer to the time when we started out as a pastor. We can probably right. both remember that pretty well. And so I've pastored three churches, uh, been a, a pastor for about 12, uh, 13 years or so. You've okay. pastored two churches, right. a senior pastor. Yes. First church was in Weatherford for three years, and then you've yes. been here in Greenwood for about three years. And so right. I just thought we'd kick around the idea of 
Um, if you were if you were to sit down over a, a plate of green chili chicken enchiladas with a that sounds great <laughs> with a new young pastor, and he was humble enough. I don't know that I was when I was a young pastor, but he was humble right. enough to seek your advice and say, "What do I do? What are the things that you would you would throw at him?" So that's what we're going to talk about. Right. Before we answer that question, I want to ask you this: When you became a pastor. I want to know what surprised you the most. Walking in as a first-time pastor, you take over the leadership of a church. What caught you off guard? Anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely. There are a couple things. Um, first, for myself personally, I was... I don't know how old you were when you started um, pastoring. I was 28. Okay. And so when you are that age, you are... Um, you know, young enough to think you know everything <laughs> and ignorant and naive enough to kind of really think that. And I think when I stepped in, I hit a wall hmm. after about a month. I'd been a youth pastor. I'd been a youth pastor at a, at a fairly large church down in San Antonio. Felt the Lord calling me to be a pastor. And so I uh, went to pastor this um, this church up in Weatherford, very small church. Um, the people were incredible. But I was completely outside of my element, what I thought I was good at, uh-huh. if that makes sense. And I hit a wall, and I remember praying. What do you mean hit a wall? Um, Emotionally, you, spiritually, physically, I all think of it? All of, all of the above. Uh-huh. I came in with, you know, illusions of grandeur, thinking that, you know, as a youth pastor, and God had humbled me different times, but it was really like you preach the gospel, you love on kids, and we'd seen God do some great things. And so then when I hit that wall, it was... I'm here where the average age of my church was probably 60-something, and I just felt completely unqualified to lead. Mm -hmm. I felt like I didn't know how to relate well enough, and I remember just praying and seeking the Lord. And So the first thing that surprised me is how how quickly I realized I need to rely on God's grace and God's mercy and really God's, um, lack of a term, I was really prideful, and I had to, prideful, I was really proud. Yeah. And I had to sit back and just say, I can't do any of this on my own. Yeah. And I remember just, just seeking the Lord um, one night in prayers until about 3 a.m. Hmm. And I'm not big on, you know, God speaks audibly. I think God speaks through his word. Right. But I do know there's like just this sense that came over me that it was a just treat these people like you treat your students. Hmm. And that was basically... You, you love them, mm-hmm. you encourage them, of course you share the gospel with them. Mm-hmm. And there, in a way, it took the pressure off of everything that I thought I had to do to be a good pastor. Yeah. So just love people and preach the gospel. That's interesting. I've graduated from seminary twice, and the first time I graduated, uh, Dr. Muller spoke at the commencement, and I think he says this every graduation, but he said it then, Uh, something to the effect of you fine, upstanding, educated graduates are not up to the task to which we're sending Mm. you out to do. You're not qualified or capable to do it. And I heard it the first time, and I sort of nodded my head at that. The second time I graduated, I had been a pastor for four years, and he said the exact same thing in a nutshell. Okay, You're going out into ministries, and you're not capable to do it on your own power. 
And mm. like you just described, I think I had a better appreciation for what he was saying four years or so into a pastoral ministry than I did on the front end. Right. Um, and I think at some point, every every young pastor is going to hit that wall. I don't know that you should warn them of that. I don't know that you should be a discouragement and say right. it's going to be terrible. But yeah. at some point you hit that reality of, I can't do this on my own power, or I don't have all the answers, yeah. or I don't know what to do in every situation, or I don't know how to respond to every question or handle every crisis. Right. Um, and that's an over, when, when you get that realization, that can be an overwhelming thing. Definitely. So on a positive note, what would you say to a guy? Uh, walking into his first position as a senior pastor, what sort of advice would you give to to that young guy? Yeah, I mean, and I don't mean to be, you know, overly like overly spiritual and not practical, but the very <laughs> but the very first thing, I mean, you know, it's it's fix your eyes on Jesus, right? Mm. And um, he's the author and perfecter of our faith, and I think it's very very easy for all of us to get distracted by what you think it means to be a pastor, mm-hmm. by thinking that I have to put on some certain air, that I have to act this certain way, that I have to do this certain thing. And also there are the expectations of the church. When you, Especially yeah. as a young pastor, there's a lot of times there's the expectation of you are a young pastor, so we're going to have lots of young people come to our church yeah. Because you're young, and so there's a lot of those different pressures. How it always works, right? Oh, that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> right. So um, I just think it's one of those things where that, to me, um, and fixing your eyes on Christ is the yeah. is the first thing that it has to start with, right? If you don't do that, your worth and your value will inevitably be tied to that church, and if yes. the church doesn't explode with growth and baptisms and numbers, then you're going to be crushed. If it does, you're going to be an egomaniac. You're right. Either way, that's toxic for your soul. Hmm. You've got to start with that that grounding in who am I in Christ and right. I am I am fixing my eyes on him. I really, really like that as a starting point. So yes, we'll give you the the dispensation to be super spiritual on a, a pastor <laughs> well, podcast. Well, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> That's um, good. What else you got on your list? Yeah, I, just a, I think um, uh, another another big thing is to communicate clearly and specifically. Are you talking about in preaching and teaching? And I'm talking about announcements. I'm talking about in every single area. And so I think, um, and part of this comes down to, you know, my wife is a counselor Mm. and she will come home and she will say the number (laughs) one issue, why people are in, especially when she does, she does a lot of uh, marriage family counseling, uh, does a great job, but she'll say, you know, it's, it's communication. And there are, when you're stepping in, there are expectations, spoken and unspoken expectations. And there's a lot of. Every single pastor, if you'd ask, when we step in, we want to see our churches grow. For sure. We want to see different things. But what does that look like? What is growth? And communicating clearly what that means. Yeah. And so some of that, I have a, I have a very good friend of mine who just took uh, his first pastorate. And, you know, he was a, he was a youth pastor at a very large church in the Metroplex. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they're very metrics driven, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Numbers are people, people matter to God, right? Mm-hmm. But it was, 
We want to see X amount of baptisms yeah. every quarter. We want to see X amount of salvations. And to a point, I think it's fine to set those goals. And I'm fine with numeric goals because I think it can be a good challenge. Mm-hmm. But communicate clearly to your people. What is growth? Mm-hmm. Is it more you know, rears in the seats? Mm-hmm. Is it a depth and understanding of what the gospel is? Mm-hmm. Is it the ability to make disciples? I think we throw around words a lot. Yeah. Even that word gospel. Yeah. I think every pastor you hear, well, I want to be gospel centered. What does that mean? Yeah. And so I think communicating clearly and um, specifically will really be a good friend to you. I like that a lot. And I think as I've, as I've been around some younger guys, um, and as I think about my entrance into pastoral ministry, I think that's especially important with preaching. Hmm. And so many guys want to sound smart, or they want to be funny, or they want to be relevant, or they want to be whatever. And I think one of the best pieces of advice that I got during my time in seminary was just the idea of be clear. Mm. Make the text clear. And on a preaching level, the text will do its work. The Word of God will do its work in the people of God. The Spirit of God will use that. Your job is not to make it funny. It's not to make it, you know, tied to the latest TV show, Mm. not to have the best PowerPoint or not to have the best video illustrations or whatever. Your job is just to make it clear, help people understand it. And I think, especially for guys who are just coming out of seminary, we kind of kicked this around during our lunch with, with some of the other guys we, we met with today. Right. Sometimes a guy right out of seminary is so excited about theology. He's so eager to preach systematic theology lectures yes. from the pulpit and they're just not clear. Hmm. Doesn't make the word of God clear. The application isn't clear. And it's a lot of theological gibberish that's been floating around in his head for the last however long he's been in school. And I think that's great advice in in setting goals, in casting vision, in preaching, in meeting with your leaders. You have got to strive for clarity. And that's that's something that takes work. Very few of us are good at that naturally. That's something that most of us have to work at, get feedback on, try to grow, try to improve. so I think that's really, really good. I well, like that. And I, I like how you really emphasize, you know, preaching. That's such a weighty thing that we mm-hmm. have the opportunity and privilege to do mm-hmm. on a weekly basis and figure out how that works, especially for me. You know, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so I preached. I went through it's kind of the same, same structure I do now. I'd go through books of the Bible, other mm-hmm. things like that. But it's just different mm-hmm. preaching for you know, 20 to 25 minutes to students compared to what you do. And so one thing that that I did for about my first year to really help with clarity is I would manuscript, and then I preached my message on Saturday night to my wife. Yeah, And that sounds weird, and maybe, you know, it's a lot of time, but what my wife would do is exactly what you said. She would say, I want to hear and make sure that while you're communicating— the way she'd put it is a normal person in the pew would yeah. understand. And that yeah. was, you know, you could say it's humbling or it's humiliating when my wife is telling me the different ways yeah. that because we'll, we'll unearth those little nuggets yeah. that we think are so incredibly insightful. Yeah. And you can go off on that rabbit trail and miss the main point of the text. So I really, I'm glad you clarified that. I think that's so important. That's good. I, I learned that just going through the PhD program at Southern in the process of writing papers and then submitting them to a class 
of your peers and getting feedback. And anytime someone starts to criticize your writing or your presentation, your natural reaction is to explain what you meant. Mm. And I can still hear Dr. Lawless saying, if that's what you meant, that's the way that you should have said it the first time. That's good. And if it wasn't clear, it's not the fault of the listener. It's the fault of the communicator, and you've okay. got to make it clear. And so I like that. It, and you're right. Writing a manuscript takes a lot of time to think through it word for word, exactly how you want to say it. Uh, preaching a message as a, a trial sermon the mm. night before, it takes yes. a lot of time, and it takes investment on your wife's part. But if it will help with, with clarity, that's probably really good advice. Yeah. I like that. What else do you have on your list? Yeah, let's see. Um, I I think one other thing, this is, I think, something that we all can be guilty of, but I just throw it down. Pastor the church you have, not the church you want. And that is a... Do you know any pastors who have the church that they want? No, <laughs> I sure don't. Uh, you know, it's, it is, it's funny, but we all... I think we all have that church in our in our back of our mind or something. If I just had this, yeah. right, or if I just had that, and yeah. you know, Bonhoeffer, I love the book uh, that that's. Uh, I'm trying to. It's called something together. Mm. Uh, now, of course, you know we're on this air, so I'm 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 blanking on the exact title. But in it, he's talking about Christian community. He talks about life together. Life together. Thank yeah. you. Yep, something together. So yeah. it's life together. Yes, yeah, so he talks about the wish dream. Yeah. And how that can just ruin things because instead of loving the people that you have, instead of loving the community where God has placed you, um, instead of embracing that family, you just want what you don't have yet. And the internet can be toxic to that. Social media where we have access just to sound bites and snippets and pictures, screenshots of the life of another church. You know all the warts in your own church, and you see these highlights of another church, and it can be so tempting to sort of set that idol up in your mind or your heart and think, if only I was at that church, or only if I could change this about my church. And I I love that, that suggestion. You have got to love the people you have, not the people you wish they were, or the people you hope they'll become, or the Hmm. church you wish you had. God gave you those people, yeah. and you got to love those people. You got to shepherd them. Um, so I think I think that's really good. I I wrote down a couple of things that tied directly into that. I said, love your people, be a shepherd. Okay, right. Um, like your job is to care for them, not to trade them in or wish you could mm-hmm. you that's could have right. someone else. I said, don't try to perfect your church or don't try to create a past church experience. Hmm. Um, I saw guys do this in seminary. Guys who would live in Louisville and go to a quote-unquote seminary church. Right. Then they go to a real church, and yes. they try to turn that real church into their seminary church. Okay, And, and right. you can't do that. No. It's not the same people. It's not the same context, neighborhood, town. Um, but guys do that. Uh, they, they try to perfect something. And you mm. and I would both agree, make changes, lead and change, improve, Definitely. get better. Yes. Uh, be excellent in what you do, but love your people. Right. You just got to love them and you got to shepherd them where they're at. That's exactly right. So that's good. Any other thoughts, things that came to mind well, as you thought about advice to a, a young guy? I'm trying to see. I think, um, and this one, I don't want to be just leaning onto something that's 
completely negative. <laughs> um, but I think one realization that you have to have is that age does not necessarily equal spiritual maturity. Huh. So I was, uh, you know, now when you say that, you're talking about a pastor needs to understand that right. going into his church. Yes, the age of the person in your church in the pew on that committee. Yes, does not necessarily equate to they're more mature. Yes, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so I think again, I had the uh, the background of being a student pastor for ten years, and so you expect teenagers to act like teenagers. <laughs> You know what I mean? You do. And I thought uh, naively that when I went to go be a senior pastor, I wouldn't be a youth pastor any longer. Right. But, um, man, you have people. And we don't know their backgrounds. We don't know their relationship. with. We cannot assume, even as you mentioned, just because you're on a committee or you're in a leadership position yeah. does not necessarily. And, you know, I don't want to sound incredibly negative, but it's realistic. You it's have honest. to understand that. Um, Many of those people have never been discipled. Right. They've been churched, but they've never in any meaningful way been discipled. Um, I think that's a really good insight. And, I, you know, you and me could probably both list off stories of names and situations where you dealt with somebody and you hoped they would be further along than they were. That's right. And uh, I, you may say it's a little bit negative to, to go in with that. It's probably just realistic. Yeah. And it's just honest. Right. You just need to expect this. Um you know, even at lunch, as we talked with some of the other guys we had lunch with today, one of the pastors mentioned a, a situation that falls in line with what we're saying. And he said, you know, this guy's normally not this way, but mm. he was in this instance. So even in people you feel are further yeah, along, they're going to have a, a lapse moment or a, a right. you know, a, a embarrassing moment or a Peter moment, if you want to yeah. call it that, where they just sort of, they don't display the maturity or the mm. wisdom or the insight that you wish that they would have. I think that's good. A couple of things I put down are you got to join your community in some way. Um, right. That looks different in Greenwood, in Midland, in Odessa, in Albuquerque or Weatherford or Oklahoma or Kentucky. I mean, it looks different every place. Yeah, it but does. you got to be a part. Yeah. You are a... You are essentially a, a missionary in residence, and you got to learn the language and the rhythms and the mm. history and the culture. And rather than just be angry about that and complain about that, you kind of just got to accept it. Yeah. Um, and where you can, use it to your advantage. And when it needs to be confronted, confront it. But you just got to be a part of the community. You can't pastor people as an outsider. You may right. be new, but you can be a part. Um, and, and that's, that's something I see a lot of guys struggle with. I see guys struggle with that in West Texas. Yeah. They don't want to be here. Um, Mm. they'd rather be somewhere else. They'd rather be in the Metroplex. They'd rather be, uh, in the mountains. They'd rather be wherever, anywhere but here. Yeah. And sort of a, well, I'm here, I'm going to grin and bear it, but I don't have to like it. Mm. I just don't think you're going to be effective. Um, yeah, if that's your I, mindset. Yeah, I think you're. I, in fact, one thing, one of my points was, yeah, community involvement is the way I put it. But I yeah. think, you know, and, and what you hit on is it's this idea that we are missionaries, that you exegete your community. Yeah. And so some of that is, I mean, they're great. The North American Mission Board offers great resources mm-hmm. that will show you demographic studies mm-hmm. of areas, you know, certain distances around, um, away from your church mm-hmm. where you can kind of see. And so you can start to make sure that you are targeting that 
you know, the average age, you mm-hmm. know, culture, everything like that of your community. And then, yeah, I think the best thing you said too is wherever you're at, I mean, if you love the people, you need to love the community. Yeah. And that means even if I'm from Albuquerque, so I love the mountains and, you know, it's, you know, the closest thing is Big Bend, right? Four yeah. hours away. I think you just step in and you figure out how it is. And for for me in Greenwood, Texas, that is the schools right across the street from my church. Yeah. So it's getting involved in however I can in that school. And yeah. so different, you know, a lot of times that's any, any people in rural neighborhoods and rural yeah. situations. I mean, the school is an easy yeah. way. It's a center of the community in a lot of ways. Yeah, I like that. Um, a couple other things I had, and then you can you can jump in if you've got anything else. I think you got to pray for wisdom, and mm. don't start after you realize you need it. Go ahead and start now because you're going to need it. And right. I just think back to so many things that I faced, especially I mean, still today, still today, but especially as a brand new pastor, where I just thought I don't know what to do here. I didn't have a seminary yes. class on this. That's right. I don't have a book I can pull off the shelf and look and answer up what does Calvin say or Luther say right and you're just going to need some wisdom and uh, so you might as well start praying for that and then the last thing I wrote down is you need friends Mm. and you need friends within your church you need friends in your community but you also need pastor friends okay and that doesn't have to be a massive time investment that doesn't have to look a certain way but you need some people who are walking through life in a similar journey and people who are are going through a similar experience as a spiritual leader of a congregation you don't have to agree with those people on ecclesiology you don't have to Mm. agree with those people on every every one of the petals on the tulip you don't have to agree with them on methodology I mean we were before we started recording, we were talking about churches that do things dramatically different than we do. Right. But you can still be friends with those oh, people, yeah. and I think you need that. Um, I I don't know that I saw the importance of that as a young pastor mm. quite as much as I do now over a decade later. Um, maybe that was arrogance, thinking I could I knew what I was doing. And right. I don't yeah, need we... anyone's validation or confirmation, but... You need people who can encourage you and listen and just be a friend and yeah. someone who understands some of the stuff you're going yeah. through. So. No, I, I think that's huge. And, you know, mine was along the same lines a little bit different, but I just said, you know, have mentors. Yeah. But you have people that will speak into your life, and that can be from from all different ages and ranges. But I know for me, I've had uh, a couple older pastors in particular who have been invaluable yeah. in just ministering to me and um, also in some cases, man, I brought them in to minister my church as well. Sure. And so I think, um, but you're right. We can often isolate ourselves um, and that can be, that can be dangerous. It can be a lonely thing to be a pastor. You can, you can have a, a professional job where you're always around people and feel very, very isolated and lonely because of the uniqueness of your position that's even true if you have a, a large staff. Hmm. Um, those people are with you in a sense, but they also work for you in a sense. Yeah. Um, and so you need other people who can who can relate to you, listen, empathize, speak truth into your life, be an encouragement. Um, I think that's I think that's important. 
If only we could go back in time and tell our younger selves all of these great oh, pearls I, of wisdom. I tell right? you what, yeah, it would have would have helped with some heartache for sure. But absolutely. Well, man, I appreciate you. Uh, I, I appreciate the group that that you and I are a part of. Definitely. And, um, just appreciate uh, the opportunity to fellowship with pastors there, and I appreciate you giving me a an extra thirty minutes here on a Thursday to kick some of this stuff around, and uh, appreciate your ministry and. And look for God to continue to do good things out in Greenwood. So thanks for your time. Hey, thank you so much, Lynn. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Regular Pastor Podcast. You can check us out online at regularpastor.com. Uh, we've got ways you can contact us through social media or through email. Love to hear your questions, your feedback, suggestions, ideas. Until next time, this is the Regular Pastor. Out.